Hello and a warm welcome to this bonus episode of the EMJ podcast. My name is Dr Hannah Moyer, Senior Medical Writer and Moderator for EMJ. Today I am delighted to be bringing you a fascinating discussion as part of a four-part series on diabetic peripheral neuropathy, the forgotten complication of diabetes. This podcast has been supported by Viatris. For today's episode, I am honoured to be joined by two experts in the field of diabetes and neuropathy who will share their insights and personal experiences of working with those living with diabetes. Both of our guests join us from Sheffield Teaching Hospital's NHS Foundation Trust located in the UK. Our first guest is Mr Oliver Binns-Hall, who works as a podiatrist at Sheffield Podiatry Services and also serves as a research associate at Sheffield Teaching Hospitals. Ollie specialises in wound healing and advanced diabetic assessment. His research investigates the early signs of neuropathy in patients with diabetes and explores the role of podiatry-led integrated care pathways. Ollie also works closely with our next guest. Professor Solomon Tezve, who is a consultant physician and endocrinologist and research director of diabetes and endocrinology also at Sheffield Teaching Hospitals and the University of Sheffield. His research centres on diabetic neuropathy and neuropathic pain, focusing on its epidemiology, risk factors, pathogenesis, central nervous system involvement and treatment. In addition, he is a visiting professor at Shanghai Zhao Tong University and adjunct professor at Zhanghai Hospital Central Southern University in China. Professor Tezfei has an extensive academic profile with publications, grants and awards for his scientific contributions in diabetic neuropathy and his innovative patient-centred diabetes care. He has been chairman of the International Expert Group of Diabetic Neuropathy and has authored several consensus papers on the management of neuropathic pain. Thank you both for joining me for today's discussion with EMJ. In previous episodes, we explored the complexities of diabetes and its impact on diabetic neuropathy. In this third episode, we continue our discussion by focusing on changing the future of diabetic peripheral neuropathy with a focus on integrated patient care and screening. So, in today's episode, we will take a closer look at how the future can be transformed for the better. We will discuss the evolving role of podiatrists, the use of integrated patient care approaches and innovative screening solutions. So, Thank you, Ollie and Solomon, for joining us again. It's so wonderful to have you back and to share your expertise and personal experiences with us on working with those living with diabetic peripheral neuropathy. In the previous podcast, we discussed some of those challenges in diabetic care and the challenges in early detection and management. If I could come to you first, Solomon, can you just talk us through and remind us of the issues there and how care approaches are currently used and how effective they are? Thank you uh, again. And I think at the moment, as I mentioned earlier on, we have all patients with diabetes must undergo nine nice recommended care pathways. And these include eye screening, foot screening, and neuropathy screening. Two, demography, body mass index. Three, renal screening, EGFR and ACR. Five, smoking review six, cholesterol, seven, blood pressure measurement, eight, and A1C, or the measure of blood glucose control, 
nine. These, on average, take six visits to do, but in some places they can take up to nine visits in some GP practices. Um, and and it's just not surprisingly, quite a lot are missed. And in type two diabetes, 50%, only 50% achieve all these nine care processes. Whereas eye screening in the UK has 85% uptake because it's a different system. It's a different recall system and patients are worried of going blind. So they attend for eye screening, but actually, what kills patients, as I mentioned earlier on, is the feet, is the neuropathy. And, and so this appears to be neglected. It's not done properly in primary care. They, uh, it requires expertise by the healthcare professionals. It's not the GPs that do this. It is practice nurses who do it. What we've done in Sheffield using NHS money, we, they, we invested, the NHS England gave us 200000 and we upskilled training in foot care. And that led to actually a reduction, a saving of £200,000 per year um, uh, uh, because we did that. Um, and, and so it requires training of thousands of people. Um, and they, 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 not surprisingly, there isn't a curriculum. Some of them will do it properly. Others won't do it properly. They're not trained. You know, these nurses, practice nurses are... Uh, helping with asthma clinics, with all sorts of clinics, and and they're not trained in in properly trained in these. So, secondly, we use insensitive uh, measures such as a ten gram monofilament. Uh, this is a way of um, trying to see if a patient has diabetic peripheral neuropathy. This monofilament, you put it, you press it gently over one to two seconds into into a toe. And if they can't feel it with their eyes closed, then we say they have got neuropathy. Actually, it's, a, it's almost like a Stone Age implement when you compare it with retinal photography, digital photography, to look at the retina or you're looking at uh, microalbuminuria measurement, which gives you a quantitative measure. This is telling you present or absent. It gives you a categorical diagnosis, which... It's a good way of diagnosing people at risk of foot ulceration. You know, they have numb foot, they are ready to protect their feet, and so they have to have proper footwear. But it's not a good way of diagnosing people with early peripheral neuropathy. So we have poorly trained people using poor equipment in a, in a poorly organized environment, which requires multiple visits. This is a recipe for disaster. And also the screening um, template that we have in uh, primary care don't even mention painful neuropathy. It looks examine the foot, but actually there isn't a template that says you have burning pain, you have electric shock type. Pain. It doesn't have. We have that in 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 our centres in hospital. So and and also you know people with retinopathy have a clear pathway. You diagnose retinopathy, you go to the eye clinic straight. If there is a problem, that's flagged up. Now this is being done through AI or artificial intelligence. It's really well developed. Um, uh, if you have uh, abnormal renal function, again, that triggers treatment with um, S inhibitors if you have microalbuminuria, for instance. And then the referral pathway is not too bad. And um, cholesterol also, the, the, the most general practitioners, almost everybody is doing it okay. Um, blood pressure management does advancing really well. The patients can monitor their blood pressure. But the, with the diabetic foot, this is the most neglected area in diabetic painful neuropathy. 
patients are not being referred. They get referred to a neurologist. Some of them referred to the pain specialist. Some of them referred to the consultant. Some of them referred to a what we call gypsy or a, a GP who's an interest with neuropathic pain. Um, and so there are too many players, and it's a recipe for disasters. The referral pathway is not clearly determined. And so um, this needs to be looked at by policymakers, by guidelines. It's not right just writing the guidelines. It's also looking at their implementation. There is a new science called implementation science, that things are actually happening and being done. And that is not operating at the moment. So we need a paradigm shift. And I'll talk about that, what we've done to address this in Sheffield. Um, but that's what we need. Like eye screening, before it was completely haphazard and a new program started, which was effective. Everybody was uh, had a recall mechanism. People were reminded to attend. They attended this program. They had early referral. It became a game changer. And that's what we need for all the other diabetes screenings that are currently done poorly. And just to add uh, to more to the screening, the actual clinical screening uh, side of things, you know, if we wanted to get any, you know, decent level of clinical examination done, you'd probably be looking at doing something like the Toronto Clinical Scoring System, which takes, you know, a good 20 to 30 minutes. And it's a large chunk of appointment time. And we just simply don't have the number of clinicians to carry out this kind of rigorous testing on all patients. We need to adopt a more objective technology based um, assessment like the retinal screening to give uh, you know more information in a shorter period of time and like Solomon said bring the the care processes and different cl uh, clinical backgrounds together and done you know in in the same kind of clinic to make it easier for the patients as well. So what are the changes you think we require what strategies or approaches could be considered for the future? If I could come to Solomon first, you mentioned about this shift and what you're doing in Sheffield. Perhaps you could talk about those sorts of things. So over the years, I've been working here for almost 35 years in Sheffield. and We're one of the centres that started the diabetic foot. Um, Professor John Ward in 1991, I think, we started a MDT foot clinic. Um, and it was a really uh, a fantastic achievement that under his care, we, we started to have patients coming to the foot clinic. Now, over the years, we've had, um, now we now have around a sort of increasing, year-on-year -year increase into the foot service. We now have about 12 clinics a week. And I'm not surprised in a few years' time, we have 20 clinics. So this is not a mark of success. Initially, it was a mark of success because it prevented amputations. When somebody has a, a major lower limb amputation above the ankle, their life expectancy over five years is 70% will unfortunately lose their life. It is devastating complications. So it stopped that, um, but it hasn't stopped the mortality, the increased mortality. And so a different approach is, at the moment, what we're doing is we're giving patients a false sense of security. You're all right. You can feel the monofilament. You're all right. You're feeling every year they have this done. In fact, they're not all right. It is progressing. Retinopathy is progressing because we have a sensitive measure. We can detect the gradual progression. The kidney progression, we can track it. It gets worse, worse, worse gradually. A monofilament is by the time it's done, it's too late. They come in the foot clinic. Terrible situation. So to overcome these, 
I felt we need to go on the back of the ice screening service in Sheffield. So I contacted the ice screening service in Sheffield. They were remarkably um, sympathetic and collaborative. And they said, why don't we do the screening program, these care processes and nine care processes in the ice screening service because everybody attends the screening service and be opportunist. And so we started this. So they have eye drops put in. While the eye drop works, it takes about 20 minutes. They can't read. They're sitting doing nothing. And what we do then is we put them into another room and Oli and others attack their feet. I, I, I don't mean... I don't mean attack, you know, but they take shoes and socks off and have a look at their feet and examine their feet. They look at the neuropathy screening. But in neuropathy screening, we do not use just, uh, we also, we use the uh, pinprick sensation. We use the uh, uh, tuning fork. These are good screening. Also the monofilament test, but also in addition to these, we use point of care devices. These are handheld devices that can um, uh, call DPN check and measure sural sensory conduction velocity and amplitude. In, in, in simple terms, it measures nerve conduction. It is a quantitative measure of large nerve fibers. And we also use another uh, equipment, another uh, device called pseudoscan, which measures sweat function, measures small fiber function. And these are provided free of charge by the by the companies. We, I tend to test a lot of these equipments for uh, many companies around the world, and and so uh, we use those. And they give you uh, in three minutes the DPN check will give you a measure of if they have a patient has an early neuropathy. To put it in simple terms, um, the monofilament diagnoses neuropathy in fourteen percent of unselected patients, whereas the DPN check will diagnose neuropathy in 50% of these patients. So it, it, is, it, measure, it, it identifies patients with peripheral neuropathy early. There is cost uh, implicated in this. It costs about a thousand US dollars. Um, it requires uh, uh, electrodes, but actually when you, you know, it can be used multiple times. The pseudoscan can be used. Uh, it's a one-off purchase, an expensive equipment, but, but these become cost-effective in the long run. Uh, be because one major amputation cost, the hospital cost alone is £50,000. And you add to that the, uh, you know, the rehabilitation process, the uh, devastation and, and, and inability to work and to contribute to society. It is quite a lot of cost. And, and we need to use modern equipment. So we have integrated these devices into this one-stop shop. And then we do those, and then we do all the blood tests that are required, the annual screening, and the patient leaves within 35 to 40 minutes. And just to add a little bit more about the uh, the clinical assessment of the, the, like the neuropathy um, from the point of care devices, uh, what we've found is that it's very acceptable by the patients. And like Solomon said, it gives us a way to actually track the progression of neuropathy rather than it just being a absent or a present, uh, which the monofilament is. Um, and, you know, more importantly, from the patient point of view and feedback that we've got, it gives them visual representation of what's going on with the nerves. It's not, it's not our perspective or opinion of what's going on. These devices are specifically made to measure nerve function and they are telling you that they are either, you know, working within a normal range or they are abnormal. And patients tend to, you know, listen to advice given if it's backed up by tests done by more sensitive technology. 
And do you see this having an impact on the patient experience as well? Yeah, massively. You know, again, like like Solomon said, with the retinal screening, we've made use of the downtime when they have the pupils dilated. So for anyone who didn't know, they need the pupils dilated and they, you know, have uh, got hazy vision for around 10 to 15 minutes. In that 10 to 15 minutes, we're making use of the, you know, dead dead time almost, bringing them through to do these um, point of care device checks with the pseudoscanner neurometrics and condensing the appointments and, and reducing the kind of appointment burden of the diabetes patients, as we've previously mentioned, there's a, you know, a, a massive kind of time sink from a patient who has diabetes to go to all the different appointments. So in theory, we're reducing the amount of appointments they're needing to attend, but also giving them a better view and improved clinical picture of what their nerve functions like. Just to, to add to that, a lot of these patients are disabled patients. So they have chronic pain or they have other um, elderly patients and they require ambulances to come to hospital. You, you're doing everything in one go. You're reducing the burden both on the patients but also on the health service. Um, and also the quality of life, these patients actually, the patient feedback, we, we've done a feasibility study both in the in hospital setting and, and in, in um, in the community and the patients love it. They voted and we published this in Diabetic Medicine and the first author of these uh, papers, uh, um, Oliver Binsall, who's, uh, he was the first author of this paper. Uh, and then since then, we made a business case and we've actually the Sheffield CCG, you know, there's a new name for it, um, but, but they are actually the commissioners in Sheffield bought into it. And now we offer this service in four GP, uh, in large GP practice like hubs where patients are referred. It is a, a, a pilot program still, um, but it works very well. And at the end of this, uh, the patients are given an A4 sheet with all their risk scores. So everything is entered into the computer or system one, and it's available for the GPs to look at. And also the patients know their risk scores in, for A1, see where they are. It's an individualized risk score. For elderly patients, maybe 7.5% in old money or, you know, 60 to uh, 65 millimoles per mole in new money could be a good measure. It's an individualized risk score um, for their cholesterol, for their blood pressure. And the patients then become drivers of their own treatment because they're given this risk score they leave, and it is enormously beneficial to patients. And also what we've done is we've adapted this one-stop shop, I call it, into uh, to different uh, patient groups. For younger people, we offer this in the evenings. And one of my colleagues, Jackie Elliott, runs an adolescent or young person's clinic because they don't like to come during daytime. They're at school, or university, and we offer it, and they have the one-stop shop, everything done, and attendance is much higher, and also it has led to an improvement in their glucose control. And again, the, 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 the service won HSG award, a national award, and the one-stop shop that, uh, that we started won the um, Medipex uh, National NHS Innovation Award against very heavy competition from cancer and from, from, from other you know, uh, COVID trials and things. It won the it won the NHS Innovation Award for 2021, and it truly sounds like a well-deserved award. 
Your one-stop approach appears to be a far more efficient use of time and a significant improvement in patient care. So it's going to be exciting to witness the wider impact such approaches can have in managing diabetes, particularly diabetic peripheral neuropathy. So congratulations. I believe this is a fitting point to end today's discussion with EMJ. I just want to take a moment to thank Mr. Ollie Binshall and Professor Solomon Tezve for sharing their experiences and insights with us around changing the future of diabetic peripheral neuropathy with a focus on integrated patient care and screening with our audience. If you enjoyed this episode of the EMJ podcast, this is the third of a four-part series on diabetic peripheral neuropathy, the forgotten complication of diabetes, and this can be accessed through your preferred podcast platform. These, alongside an informative infographic, can also be accessed by visiting emjreviews.com. In the next episode, we will continue this discussion, focusing on adapting the future recognition and treatment of diabetic neuropathy, where we will explore the dynamic landscape across diverse clinical realities in various countries. So I look forward to you joining us again. Until next time, take care and goodbye for now. Mm